Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Let me just back up a few weeks and remind you that we've been on a journey. We started before the crucifixion. We talked one week about the crucifixion. We talked about the after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And today we're going to go to the next step. We're going to take the clock up now 40 days. You remember there was the crucifixion on Friday. On Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave. Then the scripture says that there were 40 days in there when Jesus appeared to more than 500 people, identified himself to them. Some were his followers, some were his enemies. But they all realized that this one who they saw crucified had risen from the grave. But in this 40-day period of time, as that needed to be accomplished, so there would be no doubt that there would be none that could dispute, even though many have tried, they've never got anywhere down the road to disputing that Jesus rose from the grave. But in that 40 days, as the Lord was moving about doing what he was to do, God in heaven was preparing for this moment. There was going to be a moment, a very emotional moment, when a group would gather and there would be the next step in prophecy, and that is that Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, was going to leave planet Earth and go back to the Father from whence he came. Before he would go back, however, he, would, he had promised that he would put inside of every believer himself through the Holy Spirit because in the flesh he could not be with everybody. So he is making ready for the third part of the Trinity that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then all of you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. At first, the disciples did not understand, no, don't leave us here. They'll be executing all of us and all this kind of thing. And, and they were executed. However, Jesus knew that it was going to be imperative that he remain here, that the Godhead remain here in the person of the Holy Spirit for all that we're going to go through for 2,000 years after that. And so now we're coming to that moment. <clears throat> now in the meantime, one other thing before we read the scripture. The book of Acts is about the church. God wanted his kingdom here on earth to be manifested through the church, the bride of Christ. That's what the church is. It would be the group of those who had forsaken this world acknowledge their sin, repented of it, would come together and carry it to the next generation. And so the church was established. Anything that is apart from the book of Acts in a church today has gotten away from what the purpose of the church is. And we'll look at that in a moment. All of us need to realize if we are a believer, we are a part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and the church and we have a clear recipe as to what we are to be 
And we're going to look at that today. When Jesus came to that moment to go back into heaven, there were two men there in white apparel, angels. And they saw people just going, ah. Oh. He says, asks a great question, why stand you here gazing? Why are you gazing? This same Jesus that you've seen go is coming back again. Now, as I read the passage, I want you to listen. This same Jesus. Whatever you know about Jesus, and whatever you've learned about Jesus, and what he did while he was here, and what he said while he was here, and what was right when he was here, and what was wrong when he was here, this same Jesus is coming back, who said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I change not. Now, they're watching him go, and listen at this beautiful passage, Acts chapter 1, would you stand, please, and you'll see the words come up on the screen. Uh, I think they'll start with the ninth verse, but I am going to read to you from the sixth verse, and I'll read through verse 11. First chapter of Acts. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he, that's Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The prophecy of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about it. Would you be seated? I have a question for you from your lifetime and your background. What has happened, in your opinion, to the church that was established in the book of Acts? What has happened to it? Now, if you do not know your Bible history, let me just bring it up from the time you were born. Maybe you're 15, maybe you're, maybe you're 25, maybe you're 50, maybe you're 75, maybe you're older. What's happened to the church? When you read through the book of Acts and it tells us all that a church was to be steadfast in, all that it was to do, how would you say we're doing as the church as you know it? What has happened to the church established by our Lord? Let me give us a warning if we're not cautious. There's a word that's out there right now, and it's big in young people's lives, young adults. The emerging church. The emerging church. Now, that, 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 that scares you immediately because the church is not, the real church has already been established. It's not emerging now. It has been here. There's no question about that biblically. 
But what we have tended to do in our churches is we spend more time exegeting our culture than we do in exegeting the scripture. In other words, we try to think more about our culture and how we can reach our culture by becoming like our culture rather than preaching and singing and living the word of God. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. Because you see, that's what every other entity is doing. If you're in business, you try to find out what do your people want and you give it to them. That's called success. For a church today, the success is how many people are coming to your meetings. Where the question ought to be how many lives are being changed because they came to one of your gatherings. How many people have come and walked inside your door or attended one of your functions and by coming their life was changed. Now the Bible says you will receive power. That's what he told them. You will receive power. They did. If we are the church that God wants us to be, we too have that power. It amazes people that Sagemont, if you're a guest, does not pass the offering plates. No, we did not forget, nor will you see one at the end of the service. They cannot believe that a church can build buildings and not borrow money from the world. They cannot understand that. That's absolutely impossible. Because after all, churches are just filled with poor people. All of us are poor, but he is rich. And he is riches belong to his children. And all power is given to him in heaven and in earth. But when people come into our churches, rather than comparing what we do here to what the world is doing, they need to, to say, you know, Something different about that place. In the last hour, I have looked in the face of five men that were here in the earlier service with their families. All five of them said to me, today, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. Here for the first time. Maybe the last time. Some people heard Jesus one time. Some people go to all of our churches one time. You have only one time to reach them. And yet, we try to find a way to get away from the church and what it is supposed to be. In Matthew 6, 18, Jesus said, after he gave the beatitude, he said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And sometimes, you can have wolves that come in sheep's clothing. Sometimes you can hear a very logical argument to how the church has got to compromise in order to reach its generation where Jesus never said anything but the opposite. He said, never will there be a generation that will just flock to me. There will always be a narrow road that will lead to eternal life and few there are that will find it. But there will be a broad road that will lead to eternal destruction and many will go therein. But when it comes to the situation that I believe that most of us here believe, and that is that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth it shall die. And if nothing is done about that sin, then people are going to die hopeless and helpless because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. 85% of our churches are dying today. The first church the first century church was an exciting place nobody ever got bored nobody ever got bored 
when they came to church, it was exciting. They, they were looking out the windows, not knowing who was going to raid the church or what they were going to do. But you know what they did? They just simply followed Jesus. And they never compromised the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to make the gospel relevant. The gospel is relevant. What you're to do is to teach the gospel, preach the gospel, and live the gospel, and then leave the results to God. But our, our methodology now is and, and to, meet, to be the emerging church and meet the contemporary generation is we've got to become like them, think like them, act like them, compromise, and then maybe we will reach some. But the facts show we're not reaching them for salvation. We may be reaching them for our meetings, but we're not reaching them for salvation. They're not being born again. They're not confessing sin and repenting of their sin and following the Lord in believers' baptism. It is not happening in more than 90% of our churches in America today. Yet we will not change. We're on a road, it seems like, that we're just going to stay with modernism. We're going to be the emerging, changing church. But God says, be careful. Be careful. People got so excited in the first century church when people started getting saved. Let me ask you a question. If people don't get saved at church, where are they going to get saved? Let me ask you this. How many restaurants you've been in recently? You say, well, I like to go out and eat. How many restaurants you've been in when somebody walked over your table and said, would you tell me how to get saved? How many of you love to play golf? I love to play golf. Don't play anymore, but I love the game. I think it's a great game. How many people ever walked up to you on the golf course? Say, I spend four hours on the golf course every week. How many people ever walked up to you and say, hey, before you go over and play the seventh hole, can you tell me how to get saved? How about on the hunting lease? How about in the schoolroom, students? How many people in your schoolroom have come up to you and said, would somebody in this schoolroom tell me how to get saved? I doubt there's been very many. I bet if you look around at the offices at where you work, how many of you work in an office and say there's 250 people, these 250 engineers in our office, we got some of the smartest guys, how many of them ever walked over your cubicle and say, what must I do to get saved? Could you tell me how to get saved? My point is this, how many people have knocked on your door and say, hey, I hear you're a Christian, you just moved in on our, my block, would you tell me how to get saved? The only people knock on your door or cultish people that are trying to get you away from the Word of God and to follow after other gods, but we're the people coming knocking on your door. Okay, you're at home, you're at work, you're at play, you're at school. Nobody's asking you how to get saved. Where in the world are they going to get saved? Well, they're supposed to get saved when they come to church and hear the gospel. But if they come to church and don't hear the gospel, now where are they going to go? There's nowhere else to go. And yet the church has made up their mind, don't tell them about sin and don't tell them about conversion. Don't tell them about a new birth. Don't tell them that they're sinners. They'll never come back again. Well, at least they got to hear it once. They at least had one opportunity. They will not have to say, I went to every church in Houston. I went to every church in Texas. And I never heard a sermon on the judgment. I never heard a sermon on there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I never heard a sermon on repentance. Whenever they come into this place, they ought to have one shot. Let me tell you something, folks. Last month, in four Sundays, 84 people asked Jesus Christ to come in their life. And half of those people was the first time they'd ever been in a church. We had one shot at it. One. One. And I didn't need to be talking about how they could get that oozy-weezy feeling if they would just do this and that, you know, and just get, light you a candle and get out there and 
blow smoke up in the air and listen to quiet music and lay in the hammock and watch the sunrise and go your way blessed. That's not what church is all about. We're here because Jesus wants to seek and to save those that are lost. And every once in a while, a lost person comes to the church house. And when they come to church house, no, they don't need to be beat on the head. Every time I tell you you're a sinner, I tell you there's a Savior. Every time I tell you you're a sinner, I tell you if you'll repent, you can be born again. If you'll confess your sin. Where there's bad news, there's good news. The doctor says you got cancer, but I'm going to make a picture of you with my iPhone. You don't say that. You say, get a better instrument that. I want to know what's going on inside of me because I want to be cured. And the good doctor says, you got a bad problem, but I got a 100% solution. Nobody that's been to the cross and saved by the blood of Jesus has ever lost their salvation. Their sins have been forgiven. They'll be remembered no more. And that goes for every person that's listening to me right now. We're all sinners. Don't try to be the only one in the martyr in the room. The devil has beat all of us to death. But thanks to Calvary, thanks to Calvary, we're going to see Jesus one day. Thanks for the word. I think about these students. Some of them are going off to college. You think they're going to hear about Jesus in their physics class, in their math class, in their English class, in their dormitories? You think they're going to join fraternities, and fraternities are going to have opening prayer, closing prayer, and tell them about Jesus? Some of them are going to go to work. Some of them are going to the military. All we hear is how we've got to get the chaplains out of the military. We've got to stop all that kind of stuff. We don't want them to hear about Jesus when they get on the battlefield, you know, because that's religious stuff. Where are they going to hear? The Bible says, how can they hear if they don't have a preacher, a teacher? Now, preacher, that doesn't mean you have to be ordained. It means a proclaimer. Somebody's got to tell them, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loved me, and he will love you. That's what the church is about. You say, well, I don't like that kind of church. Well, there's plenty more in Houston that you can go to. I will guarantee you, if you don't have a list, I can give you an exhaustive list for the next 10 years that you can go to. Nobody gets saved there, or very few, but they do feel good when they leave. Now, hear me. The thing that keeps the church focused and excited is to believe with all our heart. There's no other name given among men whereby people got to be saved and no name replaces Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves you. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. While the world damns his name, we ought to praise his name. Anytime somebody uses God's name in vain, you ought to stop and say, thank you very much. You've had your moment. Now I want to tell you something. Praise the name of Jesus. I love you, Jesus, and I know you love my friend here. And God, just forgive him. Man, it'll shock you. You're losing a golf game, and they hit the golf ball, and they say a bad word. All you got to do is just tell them about Jesus, and they'll keep hitting it bad until they get to the 18th hole and get away from you. You scare them absolutely to death. <laughs> the Bible says without Jesus we can do nothing. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Pretty simple. Give you five questions real quick. My time's gone. Question number one is this. 
Taking it from the text here, why stand you here gazing into heaven? Why aren't you out doing something? That's, that's the purpose of, of what the angel was saying. Why are you just gazing? Number one, why stand gazing at a Savior and his bride, the church, that needs you desperately to pray and to serve and to give of your time, talents, and substance, why stand you here gazing when there's a need in the house of God? All of these children, over a thousand over in the building, the children's building, they desperately need the love of Jesus from the time they're that long. These students have been loved in Jesus' name by many of you that work with our students. Your labor is not in vain, just trust me. But these kids are facing some incredible times. And we need to bathe them in prayer and pray a hedge of protection around them that God will protect them. As they're going to deal with all of those things that we have to deal with today. But God is bigger than all of it. But we have to lift them up. Why not give God your time? You say, well, my time is valuable. Could I ask you a question? Who gave you your time? None of us know what another day is going to bring. The Lord lets you live another another five years how many hours would you put in service for him you say well my money you know you know my money is uh, very important to me where did it come from well I work hard where'd your job come from well I've got certain talents where the talents come from I mean it goes on and on and on the point is why don't you say speak Lord thy servant heareth and see what happens let me give you another question why stand you here gazing at a lost and dying world and not tell one person about God's son who died on the cross for their sin. I wonder how many of us need to make a change today. And our change would be, I'm going to start talking to people about Jesus. I'm not concerned about what people think. I just want them to know Jesus loves them. And I am not going to, for, so that I will not feel embarrassed because they may fuss at me, to just tell them, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you, and I don't know if you know Jesus personally, but you can. Let me tell you my story, and you tell them your story. What a wonderful change in my life took place when Jesus came into my heart. I wonder how much it bothers most of us that a billion people are alive today that never heard the name of Jesus, not one time. Do you have anything to share? Do you? Do you really? Can, can you go to somebody and say, let me tell you about my life before Jesus. Let me tell you my life since Jesus. Let me, let me tell you, I've been there. I was facing that surgery. I went through a divorce. I had friends walk out on me. I had a horrible accident. I went through great pain and suffering. I was embarrassed before the whole world. But one day, Jesus changed my life. Has it ever happened? Do you ever remember that day when you felt so washed in the blood? I'm clean. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And I can't believe it. I know all my friends are going to remember it till I die. But the Lord is going to meet me. The, when I draw my last breath, Is going to say, welcome home. And when you say, Lord, I know. Now, before you start talking... I'm going to tell you about that sin in high school. I'm going to tell you about that sin in college. I'm going to tell you about that affair I had. 
in a way he's going to say, uh, 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 don't even know what you're talking about. Don't remember it. It's been washed. It's been cleansed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third question I want to ask you, why stand you here gazing at what God's doing with others and not willing to let God bless you? Find me the first person that God hasn't changed their life that says they wish they'd go back to the old life. I've yet to meet my first one. I wish I wouldn't learn how to be honest and faithful and kind and gentle and giving and loving and caring. Because once I started doing all that, once I started doing all that stuff, it just messed up my whole life. When I learned to give, it was more blessed than receiving. When I learned to forgive, when I learned to love instead of lust, when I learned to serve instead of being served, nobody ever wanted to go back. But most everybody has said, I just wished I'd have done it earlier. Just wished I'd have done it earlier. Being from a Christian home, we are blessed because we heard about Jesus from the very beginning. But that's not true of everybody. But God can make you over just like that. He can fill with your spirit. He can fill you with his spirit instantaneously. You can have the power of a Billy Graham when he speaks if you let the Holy Spirit flow through you. And there's so many of you that are out there right now that I know I can come to that have walked, you've been behind prison bars, you've been hooked on cocaine, you have had all kinds of sin in your life, but one day you met Jesus, and you've never been the same again. And because you've never been the same again, this person can meet you, and they say, well, this preacher don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, he had Christian mom and daddy. He said, buddy, I know. I know what you're talking about, and I'm telling you, he Wash me white as snow. I can go out now and know that God holds my hand. Why do you stand gazing with what God's doing with others? You're sitting with a bunch of miracles. If time would allow me, I would ask you right now, and I'm not going to his rhetorical question, but I'd love to have the time to do it. For you to real quickly, in 15 seconds, tell the person where you got saved. And I guarantee you, every one of you, most of the people would say, at Sagemont or at my church home where I was growing up. That would be the answer of most everybody. It wasn't that I went to this church later on, but it was either when you're young. That's the reason the Bible says to bring the little ones to me and forbid them not, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But they would have one of those words because I, I had a wonderful church home with a lot of loving people that rocked me in the nursery and took care of me and one time got her to Gardenia Bush and gave me a good spanking after Sunday school or whatever. But that's where I met Jesus. But very few, very few would be out of any one of those two categories. One day, I met a church that was like the church in the book of Acts where 3,000 people were saved one day, one day. Well, two more. Why you stand here looking at unconfessed sin in your life when you know Jesus is coming back? Can you not see the seriousness of sin in your life? Unconfessed sin I'm talking about? Do, do you not see the seriousness of trying to hide those things 
from the blood of Jesus, which is the only thing that can cleanse those things. In the unbeliever's life, sin leads to eternal separation from God. In the unbeliever's life. In the believer's life, sin, if it's not confessed and repented of, causes misery all of your life on this earth. But if you'll confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is willing to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that scripture is to Christian people. If you'll confess it, turn from it, I'll clean you up. What a great promise. But in the believer, you know what sin does? It breaks a fellowship. Breaks a fellowship. You're afraid that I don't want to get around that too much. I'll slip in on Sunday, I'll slip out, but I don't want to get too close to those Christians. They might find out I'm a sinner. In fact, they might find out some of the sins. Don't you worry about that. Doesn't matter what I think or anybody else thinks. It's what matters is what Jesus knows. He knows you're either saved or lost. You're either living in sin that's unforgiven or you're, or you're a forgiven sinner. But all of us are sinners. But have you been to the cross? And then finally, <clears throat> why are you just standing here gazing and praying that Jesus will come back again? We've got work to do, folks. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to miss it. You won't miss it. I guarantee you when the cymbals clang and the trumpet blows, you'll look up. You'll, I don't care how deaf you are from listening to music, you will hear the trumpet, and you will look up, and how good it'd be to be leading somebody to Jesus, and they just say it in Jesus' name, I ask you to come into my heart. Amen. You hear that trumpet blow, and the heavens open. And the, the Lord himself, the same Jesus, descends from heaven with a shout and the voices of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then those of us which are alive and remain and have been to Calvary and been to the cross and our sins have been forgiven will be, ra will be raised up into the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't it be good to carry somebody with you? Wouldn't it be great when you're on a sinking ship and you get in the ship and you're able just as the ship is fixing to pull away from the rescue area and you have somebody by the hand and say hold on and jerk them in there and I guarantee you I guarantee you the one that just made it because you just led them to Christ is just as saved as the one that's been saved for 75 years because it all had to do with the blood of Jesus don't ever worry about your children hearing about the blood of Jesus when they're five, six, seven, and eight, nine years old. They can handle all the other junk that's out there on the internet. They can handle the blood of Jesus because the Holy Spirit will see that they hear it like they need to hear it. Yes, Jesus loves me. He gave his only son. Jesus died for me. He shed his blood for me. He gave me a blood transfusion, if you please. It's like if your child was dying and somebody came in, had that rare blood, and said, Honey, they're going to stick a little needle in your arm. But this man is standing right here. This lady's going to stand here. Her blood's going to be put in you. And that old blood that you've got that's so full of disease is going to be pumped out of you. And you're going to be a brand new person. They won't say, I just hate that blood stuff. I'm just so upset. It's going to affect me all the rest of my life. Oh, no, it won't. Oh, no, it won't. The longer you serve the Lord, the more you appreciate that you heard about the shedding of blood when you were young. Because it kept you from a whole lot of terrible, terrible, terrible mistakes. 
So let's tell each other about Jesus. The church needs to take everybody we can with us. And that's what Sage Money is about. That's what it's about. We've got some of the greatest Bible teachers in this church, in any church in the world. I mean, I could name them one after one after one after one after one after one. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Great Bible teaching. But one of the things that we focus on on Sunday morning when most of the guests come is that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And if you never hear it anywhere any other time, you have one shot. Today, you have one shot. You're not here by accident. Jesus led you here. You say, I don't think so. I, I promise you he did. He led you here. He wants to save you if you're not saved. He wants to forgive you if you're not forgiven. He wants you to have purpose for your life if you don't have any purpose. What I pray for every one of these students up here, they know now, what are they, are they going off to college for? What are they going to the military for? What are they going to work for? What are they going to do? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to get out there and hope it happens. That's not the way it works, folks. When you just say, I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm just going to follow Jesus. Whatever school, when I get married, who I marry, all this time is follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. Then they'll sing one day, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So, would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? We're going to let you go. The one is looking around in just a moment, I'm going to shut my eyes. <clears throat> well, if I'm going to ask a question, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but I will not have my eyes open. Not necessary that I see you. But it is necessary that you make a move that would indicate to you I am lifting up my hand to tell Jesus I want you to come live in my life. And by doing that, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I'm confessing it. I am willing to turn from it, and I will obey the Lord. And the Lord does want you to be baptized, just like putting on a wedding ring to tell the world you're not ashamed of the gospel. And we'll tell you, after this prayer, what you can do to take the next step if you're serious about this step. The thief on the cross never got off the cross. But the Lord said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You may never walk in the church again the rest of your life. We don't know what this afternoon holds or the tomorrow or the next day. But you can know that you're saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the scripture. So with a head bowed and eyes closed, my eyes are closed as well. If you would just say to the Holy Father, by, he's watching, would you, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart and you want to do so today, right now, not knowing what the next hour holds for you, but, I, but you're saying, I know God, and I've seen enough evidence that the devil's out to destroy me, but I believe that you died to save me, and I want to trust you as my Savior. I want you to just lift up your hands. No one looking, please. All of us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just lift up your hand. Now, if you have lifted your hand, or should have and didn't, but need to pray this prayer, pray it right now. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But I know you love sinners. I know you died for sinners. So I know you died for me. I've rejected you till now. But I'm receiving you into my life. I want you to live in my life. Whatever years I have left. Or days or hours or minutes or seconds. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want to be free from the bondage of sin. 
You know my sins, God. You know the traps I've got myself in. But would you set me free and save me now in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.